Good morning, everyone. We good? We good. All right, what I need you to do, you need to stand up, you need to find two people next to you, so you'll be in a pair of, th- a pair of three, a group of three, <laughs> somehow, and somehow, you need to stand up, and then you need to form a love heart some way or another. Go, quick, you have 30 seconds. Just somehow represent a love heart. Quickly, you got 10 seconds, 10, 9, Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right, pause where you are. No, like hold your position. I've got to see who wins. We've got to have a winner. They've got four people, so you cheated, sorry. Um, all right, I don't know, I can't pick. Anyway, take a seat. We're too much, too much love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know they're going to look at the video footage this week and go, like, what do they do in church? Um, no, that's just a bit of fun, just to wake you up. Um, no, we are talking about this morning the heart of giving, so we're going to get into that in a bit. Um, I'm not going to read the whole story, but if you want to turn to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 21, it's a bit of a random book to read from this morning, 1 Chronicles. Um, chapter 21, and just have it open there as we, um, and it will be on the screen. Um, what I'm going to do, I'll give you a quick rundown of the story, all right? Basically what happens is, this is towards the end of King David's life. Empire, the, the country, the empire of Israel, it was pretty much an empire at that time, in its golden age had peace on all borders, it had grown to probably the biggest that it ever got, and I mean, under Solomon it got a little bit bigger, so the, it's big, there's millions of people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the land, there's peace on all borders, and there's prosperity, all right, things are going well, and it's almost like the promise had finally been reached, you know, the promise to Abraham that, you know, I'll bless you, you'll be like the numbers of the sand, and through you, the nations will be like, it's almost like that promise was finally reached under David and then the first half of Solomon's reign, okay? So, just imagine golden age, things are going great. And towards the end of his life, David orders a census. There's no sort of indication of why, but he orders this census. And his right-hand man, Joab, the army official, goes, hey, I don't know about this. And David's like, no, go for it, do it. So they go around, and it takes nine months to count everyone in those days. Like, it's a serious task. And immediately afterwards, David begins feeling guilty, and, and God sort of comes to him and says, that wasn't right, that was wrong. And so implied is this sort of sense that he, this was done out of his own pride. Um, it was done to see, okay, how big is my empire? How strong is my army? Whatever it was. Um, and... And then basically God punishes him. It's probably David's greatest sin. Like we know David sinned with Bathsheba and then, you know, the adultery and then the murder afterwards. But this is like probably even more serious, this sin of pride. And God says to him, okay, you can choose three. I'll give you three options for punishment. It's either famine for three years, war for three months, or a, um, or a plague sort of thing for three days. 
And David goes, okay, three days, plague. Not because it's the shortest, but because I don't want to fall into the hands of men. I'd rather fall into the hands of God because God is a God of mercy and maybe he'll like cut it short. And he does, he does. So God, God's punishment, he relents, he sort of stops. He doesn't go all the way through because of his mercy. But still 70,000 people die. Like, this isn't just affecting a few people. 70,000 people die. And, um, and David is, you know, he's stricken with himself. He's devastated. And then we come to this chapter in verse 18 where, he start, where God commands him to, to build this altar, to go to the house of Orah, Ornan. That's different names in two different books, so I've got a bit confused, but Ornan. And... Um, and to build an altar there. And this altar was one to sort of finish the punishment and also to praise God and, and to s- celebrate his mercy. And um, in verse 24 is um, this really cool line that's sort of been with me for a few years and I guess has sort of become a bit of a mantra for me. And it's this um, verse 24, it says this But King David said to Onan, who offered him the land for free. So take, take whatever you want. You're the king. And also, I saw the angel killing everyone. That's a bit freaky. So do whatever you want, sort of thing. And David says, in verse 24, no, I'll buy them for full price. I will not take from the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I love that line. Like, I will not offer to the Lord an offering which costs me nothing. In in 2 Samuel, there's the same story. It says, I will not offer to the Lord a sacrifice which costs me none. And so that's become this sort of, like I said, a bit of a mantra for me. I will not offer to the Lord a sacrifice which costs me none. I don't know about you, but I can go through life on autopilot pretty easily. Whether it was in school and, you know, you can get by, you don't have to study much, and you get good marks, or... You can just go through life, and I know, I've noticed a lot in the last few weeks, like, you get your routine sorted, you know, now that I've moved out of home, you know, Monday is my washing, Tuesday is my cooking, you know, Wednesday I'm at, and it's like, you've got your routine, and just, life can just pass by so quickly, and you just get into autopilot, and it's the same when we come to church and faith, that it can just become an autopilot thing, and we just go through the motions, we just do the thing. And so constantly I have to rom- remind myself that, no, I'm not going to offer to the Lord a sacrifice which costs me nothing. I'm not just going to do this because it's what I always do. I'm not just going to do this because it ticks off the box or because it's the right thing to do or anything like that. I'm going to do this because it costs me a little bit. I'm going to remind myself that it costs me a little bit because I know God's mercy and I know what it is to worship Him. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning, the heart of giving. The heart of what that means. And immediately we think giving, and because of the context of the last couple of weeks, you probably think money. They just want my money again. And it's not that. For me, giving, I think, is three T's, okay? Time, talent, treasure. That's what, that's what I think God's after for a lot of us, is our time, our talent, our treasure. So where does your time go? How do you use your talents, your gifts? what's in your hand, and your treasure. Not just your money, your resources, your house, your car, 
everything that you have, how do you use that to glorify God and to work in the kingdom of God? So your time, your talent, your treasure, but obviously finances are a big part. You know, I found it interesting, like if you read through the Gospels, other than the kingdom of God, Jesus' second most um, talked about subject was probably money. His parables, parable of the lost coin, parable of the talents, which is a parable, that's actually money. There's teaching on, you know, you cannot serve both God and money. There's teaching on, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. Like, he talks a lot about money, if you, if you think about it. So, um, I, I, like I said, I won't, won't apologize for talking a bit about money, because Jesus did it, so I think we can be in good stead. Good, good company. So three things about, uh, three things, okay? Three quick things about giving. Because Daniel loves three points, doesn't he? My boy. All right. First one, giving is sacrificial. You know, I'm not going to offer the Lord a sacrifice which costs me nothing. I was thinking about this week, I, um, I mean, okay, let's put it, I wasn't sure whether to ask this, you know, in our, you know, Primarily Dutch heritage, but who loves a regift? Who loves to regift? Has any who who regifts things? Yeah, come on. Everyone else is just lying. You know, we all we all do it. All right, we get this thing. We're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, that person. I'm sure that person would love it. We convince ourselves that person's going to love this gift, um, and it means I don't have to have it anymore. Um, but this week, I mean, it wasn't quite that situation. But like, I, I um. I had a voucher, and I was like, I could use it, but I can't. I could use it, but I feel like I should give it to this person. Anyway, I gave it to them. And um, it's sort of like, like the person really appreciated it. It sent me back a message. Oh, really good. Um, but as part of it, it's like it didn't sort of, I don't know, it wasn't the same for me because it didn't, like, cost me anything. It was just like, oh, I could use this, but, like, I'm not really a fan of shopping, so it's probably more convenient to actually give it to someone else who will actually use it properly. So I'm just going to... And so it's like, it's still a nice thing to do, but it didn't have, like, it wasn't the same thing for me. And, you know, it's like when you, when you re-gift something, when you give something that is sort of like, it's not really a gift anymore. Like, it sort of is. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it sort of is, but it's not the same. You know, there's something about... When I, give, when I give a gift to someone, I go through this process of, okay, what would they like? Oh, maybe they are. You ask yourself, and then it's like, okay, I've got to go get it. And you go through the effort to put the money in, save it up, get it. And there's like this whole process of getting a gift that's more than just, here's your gift. And I think the same is with sacrifice and with our worship to God, with our giving, is that when it, no, when it doesn't cost us anymore, it's no longer a sacrifice. You know, sacrifice that doesn't cost is no longer a sacrifice. The very word implies cost. And I think so often we have a culture that just flees from sacrifice. We avoid anything that costs, anything that's a bit hard, anything that's uncomfortable. You know, whether that's serving God, whether that's um, sharing the gospel with our friends, speaking up in our workplace, giving financially, caring for the poor, as soon as it begins to cost, as soon as it begins to get a bit uncomfortable, we shy away. Oh, that's a bit too hard. Oh, I don't know about that. 
You know, I was thinking, you know, in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches about how he's the bread of life and how um, basically implying that he is God. And the, there's thousands of people following at that point. He had just fed the 5,000. And he goes, and they go, this is a hard teaching. This is really, like, this is really hard. If, if we're to believe this, our whole life's changed. Like everything changes if we believe this. This is really hard to accept this teaching. You know what happens? They all desert him. And Jesus turns to his 12 that are left. He's gone from feeding 5,000 <laughs> to 12 because it was too hard. And I think often it's the same with us. And I think about it for David. He gets offered the land for free. I don't know about you, but um, if that's me, I go, okay, God's told me to give this sacrifice. I've gone to go there, and it's free. Wow, God is working in my favor. Yeah? The doors are opening perfectly. This must be God's will. It's all working out perfectly. You know, that's often how we think, and I think often it does work that way. But there's something for David that goes, no, no, no. I'm going to pay the full price. I mean, as a king, he probably had a lot of money anyway, but he understood that worship is about sacrifice, that giving is about cost. Not because God needs it. Like God doesn't need our sacrifices. God doesn't need our money, but it's in response to his mercy. And we're saying it this morning. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. God gave it all, and so therefore I'm not going to look for the easy way out. I'm not going to offer an empty sacrifice. I'm not looking for the loophole. You know, give to God what is right, not what is left. One of my friends once shared that with me. I got it on my wall. Give to God what is right, not what is left. And what is right is everything because that's what he's worthy of. Yet so often we give what is left. You know, because the other thing about a sacrifice is that for the Israelites, the sacrifice, they sacrificed their best. It was a lamb without blemish, the firstborn. It wasn't just, okay, I've got this sick little one over here. We can do without him. We'll bring that to the sacrifice. No, it was, they, were, they were to give it their best. That's what the Old Testament system was all about, giving of your best. You know, later in, in, second, in Chronicles 22, um, David begins sort of preparing for the temple building. And so 22 verse 5, it says this, The house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. Like that was, David, that was David's heart for the temple. This house of God that we were to build wasn't just to be okay, good, good enough, great, awesome. Like it was to be exceedingly magnificent. And I wonder when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our giving our time and our talent and our treasure, do we give our best? Do we give exceedingly magnificently to God? It's just like this word excellence. Do we give excellence in what we do? I used to hate the word excellence when it was used in church. I had a couple of leaders, people that I knew that used it all the time, and I really struggled with it growing up. I was like, 
one, it f- I felt like it neglected people because not everyone can give like this sort of standard. Not everyone can do things as good as we can do. I felt like it burnt out people. But then I heard it explained at Hillsong. We were at Hillsong this year and they explained excellence in a way and I'm like, that makes sense. You know, think of this, this is a picture. Think of a king's banquet. I like to, I'm like Lord of the Rings massive fan. So I'm picturing like big palace, King Aragon's there, all of his people. And you know what he asks you to do? He asks you to bring food to share. It's like Lord of the Rings potluck. Now, if any of you go to potluck, you know that there's always like the people that put in a bit of effort. And then there's like the young adults like me who go past IGA, get a roast chicken. Like it's good, but there's not much love put into it. You know, and I think of the king's banquet, and it's like, imagine a a king. He asks you to bring food. What are you going to bring? You know, all of a sudden, a bowl of Skittles doesn't quite cut it. Oh, sorry, King Aragon, I didn't quite have time. I was really busy. Um, I swung past RJ. These Skittles are really good, though. Um, And then there's like a big... I'm thinking like medieval, like the big pig on the stick roasting. I'm like, do you know, like that next to a bowl of Skittles doesn't (laughs) quite work. But here's the thing, like our king doesn't demand us bring the big pig. He doesn't demand that we bring something spectacular, gourmet. See, excellence is not a performance, but it's a heart. See, there's a big difference if I come to the potluck and I go, oh, I totally forgot about it. Uh, Let me just duck up the road. I'll get some fish and chips and I'll come back. There's a big difference between that and me going, all right, I'm not the greatest cook, but I spent a couple hours yesterday. I organized, here's some, I did carbonara the other week. It was pretty good, but like, here's my carbonara. Do you know, like, there's a difference there because there's a different heart in it. One's a heart of like, I forgot about it, I'm unprepared, and this will be good enough. Whereas this is like, no, I've prepared something, I've put a bit of time into it. It might not be the greatest, but it's the best I can bring. See, the king isn't after a perfect performance, but he's after a loving heart. That's what Jesus wants from us, a heart that says, okay, I don't, okay, I don't have it all together. I don't even have that much to give. You know, the widow brought two cents. I don't have a lot to give, but I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give what I can, and I'm going to bring something that shows a heart. So I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to put time into it. And you think about the things you do here in church when you rock up on a Sunday morning, when you do your ministry, when you do Cavell Kitchen, like whatever it is that we do around here, what are we bringing? What, what is the sacrifice that we're bringing? Is it one that costs or is it one that's, yeah, this is good enough. It's a bit rushed, but it'll do. Giving is, is sacrificial. And I'm going to give my best and not what is left. And that's a heart thing, not a performance thing. No one's going to be sitting here judging, oh, they didn't 
I didn't bring anything good enough. No, but it's, I'm going to bring a heart that's going to, I'm going to, a heart that says, this is what I have. This is my best. And I'm doing it because I love you. So that's number one. Two and three go quicker, don't worry. Number two, giving is foundational. Okay, giving is foundational. Giving is not just an optional extra that you get, you know, when you sign up. It's not an optional command, but it's a foundational aspect to our faith. Giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. You know, where David made that sacrifice, the threshing floor, basically it's just a big open space where they would thresh the wheat. I've seen a picture of it. I don't know how to explain it because I have no sort of, what's the word? Farming knowledge, agricultural knowledge. Like, there's just a big open space, and they had this, like, they would get their wheat, and they would, like, throw it up and down. I don't know. And there's a picture in my big Bible of it. Um, and it's this big open space, and that's where David got for free. Oh, he offered for free. He said, no, I'm paying it full. That's where he made the altar. That's where he made the sacrifice. And that's where the temple of the Lord was built. Like, so the foundation of it, in some ways, was a sacrifice. It was an act of giving. I think even, you know, if you look in Acts, Acts chapter 4, the church is just sort of in its infancy. Peter makes his sermon, 3,000 people are saved. And then Acts chapter 4 talks about the community, um, how they were one in heart and mind. And what did people start doing? They sold their land, they sold their houses, and they brought everything that they had to the apostles' feet and said, let's do this. We don't know what was, what was going on. What, let, let's see where it goes. Here's, here's everything. We're all in. You know, that's how the church began to grow. That's how it says there was no needy persons among them. In their community, there was no poverty when they all gave and said, this is everything that we have. You know, I think Often we go, okay, show us the picture, show us the vision, and we'll give towards that. Show us where this is going, and, and we'll get there. But I think often the kingdom of God works the other way. It's like, give what you have, and see what God does with it. Give your, you know, think of the little boy who brings two fish and a few loaves. It's not like Jesus said, oh, okay, I'm going to feed 5,000, give us what you've got, and uh, watch it happen. No, the disciples just went out with some baskets and got what was there. Little boy gives what he has and Jesus does the rest. The church of Jerusalem didn't know what was that, how far it was going to grow. But they said, we're selling all we have, we're putting it here, we're doing this community thing, we're going to try and live this out. And then see what God did with it and here we are 2,000 years later. You know, I think if we want to grow as a church, if we want to grow in our, in our reach, whether that's in our workplaces, in our, in our neighborhoods, in this, in this community here, if we want to make a difference, I think it starts with giving. Like, that's the foundation. Like, a heart that says, okay, I'm going to give. You know, often we wait for the call. Like, 
God, call, tell me where you want me to go and I'll go. And I think God wants to know, is your heart willing to give? Is your heart willing to, to, to walk that journey with him, no matter how hard it gets, that I'm going to give everything of my time and my talent and treasure. Like everything is God's, everything's surrendered. Therefore, no matter where he calls me, like I'm going. Like that, the character comes before the calling. The heart comes before what happens. See, giving is not only foundational for, a, for a, in a, you know, a church context, but even in our own lives. And I think giving changes us. When we give our time and our talent and our treasure, it changes us. It's not a negative thing. Too often we talk about giving as a negative thing. We're going to give our offerings and, oh, can you please come and serve at church on Sunday? It's like we have to twist people's arms. Like, no, it should be a positive thing. Serving God, serving in the church, giving is a positive experience. You know, God, in Psalm 50, God says, like, I don't need your cows. I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your animals. There's a thousand hills that I have sort of cover, and I could get to them if I need them. Like, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our time. It doesn't, God doesn't need our talent. God can save someone through a dream and lead them to Jesus and salvation by himself. But there's something in the relationship with us that he wants to walk because it changes us. And giving changes our heart. You know, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's two ways to look at that. First way is to go, okay, where my heart is, sorry, where my treasure is, there my heart is. Like the behavior sort of reveals the heart. That's one way to look at it. And I was thinking... The other way to look at it is that you know, where my treasure goes, my heart follows. Like where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what if you begin to put your treasure somewhere, then your heart becomes the, you know. We've been, I've put a, bit, I've put a fair bit of time into, and a few, bit, a few boys at the soccer club, we've put a bit, fair bit of time into Fantasy Premier League. Shano's here and Caleb and Aaron, they know. Or Shano, Shano, super coach. You know, same, same thing. You, get so, you put so much time into this and all of a sudden you're invested. All of a sudden you don't watch a game of football the same. All of a sudden you don't just watch your team players either. You're watching every game. You're trying to see, okay, every player, how are they working? Who's kicking goals? You're looking at the stats. You become invested into it, Yeah. You've invested into it some time, and then your heart sort of follows a bit. I think the same when it comes with Jesus, that sometimes we just need to give and discipline ourselves to give our time and our talent and our treasure. We just need to discipline ourselves to do that, and our heart will follow there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to change your heart, if you want to see your heart change, we'll start giving. Start putting it in. Start coming along. See what happens. You know, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. So offer your bodies. 
is the command. And afterwards, there's two passive verbs where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So they're the passive things. The Greek text, they're passive verbs, which means they happen to you, not you do them. So you don't transform yourself, you don't not conform to this world, but they happen to you as you do the command. And the command is an active offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So as I give my heart to God, as I live for Him and offer my body, my entire life, then I see Him transform me. And as He he transforms you, you begin to look less like the world and you don't conform. So, giving is foundational because it's a positive experience that will change you. And lastly, giving is worship. You know, if you ever thought about why giving is hard, one, I think because it changes us and the devil knows that, but two, because it's worship. It's an act of worship. You know, in the story of Job, the first thing, you know, the devil comes before God and says, okay, God says, okay, do whatever you want, just don't touch a man himself. First thing the devil attacks is his livestock, his animals, his cattle, his sheep. Essentially, what would have been his sacrifices. That was his worship. Because it says earlier in Job that every day he got up and he made a sacrifice to God. So the first thing that Satan attacks is our worship. And I think it's so often true in our lives. You know, when things start to get a bit hard in life, when the enemy attacks us, when, when we're going through a tough time, the first thing that comes under attack is our worship. Whether that's, you know, singing and all of a sudden the words just, we don't feel like singing it. Whether it's our giving and it's like, things are a bit tight this month. That pledge that I made, we'll just put off, we'll pretend that didn't happen. I'll just give a little bit less. The first thing to go is our worship. Yet, you know, for David, things are going tough. And he goes, okay, here's my sacrifice. It's going to cost me. Here it is. The reason David gives his sacrifice is because he sees the mercy of God. God. God relented from his punishment. It's supposed to go three days and he stops in the journey and goes, okay, that's enough. Why? Because part of God's nature, in Exodus 34, God introduces himself to Moses. He says, says, he pronounces his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then he gives a self-description of who he is. The Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love for generation of the generation. That's who God describes himself as, someone who is merciful and gracious. See, in Romans 12, it says at the start, you know, therefore... In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living. You see, worship is always a response. And our giving is worship. So our giving should be a response. If, if it's not a response, then we've missed the point. We've just fallen back into a religious task. This is just something we do to tick a box, to earn God's favor, to make Him love us more, 
whatever it is, we've missed the point. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to sort of make Him love you more. Romans 3 says that no one is righteous, not even one. Like none of us meet the mark. Yet God in His great mercy saves us all. He takes our punishment. Like mercy is like when you don't get what you deserve. God's punishment that we deserved, we didn't get because Jesus took it upon Himself. Like that's the mercy that we receive So therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our, our worship is a response. Our giving is a response. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because this is your spiritual act of worship. Worship isn't just singing these songs. Worship isn't just, I'm going to do this ministry that I like. It's a whole of life approach. And if it's not a response, like I said before, we fall into religion again. But Christianity is a relationship where we connect with God and we respond to His mercy by bringing a heart of giving. So for G- Jesus gave His whole life for us. And the only appropriate response you know to give what is right is to give our all you know i'm not going to offer to the lord a sacrifice which costs me nothing i'm not going to do it because it's no longer a sacrifice i'm not going to run away from the cost i'm not going to avoid the things that are hard i'm not going to say this is good enough but i'm going to give god everything my whole life as an act of worship to Him. Not because it makes things right, not because there's sort of special byproducts that we get or benefits, but simply because that's what He's worthy of. In view of His mercy, we realize how worthy He is of all of our praise. So what I want to do is I'm going to invite youth band up and we're going to finish with a song. It's called The Heart of Worship. And I think often we sing this song, it's like, oh, it's just the music's, this is a music team song. You know, I always like, I mean, I love this song. But to think of the words that I'll bring more than a song. For a song in itself, it's not what you have required. You search much deeper within, you're looking into my heart. See, it's not a performance. Don't feel like you have to go out there and reach this standard and do things at such a high standard. No, God's looking at your heart. Do you have a heart that says, okay, I'm bringing my best. I'm bringing my all because you're worthy. Like that needs to be our heart. And the thing is, God changes our heart. Our heart changes as we look upon Him. In the second verse, it talks about king of endless worth. No one could express how much you deserve. I'm weak and I'm poor but all I have is yours. May we come back to that heart this morning, even through this song. Make it your prayer. Ask God, bring me back to that heart. God's the one that transforms us, but He's asking us to give it all to Him, to surrender it all to Him in a sacrifice that's good and pleasing to Him.
Why don't you stand and let's sing.